Jason. Welcome to Chile. Welcome to Chile Bible Church. Um, so, if you guys weren't aware, this Sunday is graduation Sunday, uh, and and one of the things about graduation Sunday that it allows us to do, uh, it allows us to pause, uh, and allows us to kind of reflect on. Um, um, some of the promises that we make together as a church as far as discipling up uh, the children in our congregation. Now, one of the things we do um, when we have new children is we dedicate them together as parent and as church to the Lord, and we promise to um, provide them with a Christian home that is safe uh, and that points to Jesus and together as a church to help disciple these children up into maturity of Christ until they're an adult. Graduation Sunday allows us to see the end of that, right? After all these years of work and, and struggle and sometimes pain and long night, we get to see like they have reached maturity to adulthood. And it, graduation is one of the best rite of passages for saying like, welcome, you were formerly a child, but now you are an adult and we're welcome you into adulthood. Uh, so what I wanted to do today is kind of use that as an opportunity to um, look at what the Bible is telling us is about how to actually raise up the children in our midst as parents for you guys and, and as a church together working with the parents. And so as I'm doing that, as I'm reflecting on what the Bible says about raising up children, at first glance, it actually doesn't say as much as you think it would. I mean, for God giving us the responsibility of a human being, you would expect there be, to be a lot in there about what it means to raise a child. <laughs> but as you look, I mean, you have some ex good examples in the Old Testament and a lot of bad examples in the Old Testament about being a parent. <laughs> and then you have Judges, which is a case study of like what happens when you don't actually point your children to God, right? Um, and then in the New Testament, all I found as far as directly to parents is the command not to provoke your kid to anger. <laughs> and it's, it's in there twice. And, and at first, it's just like, man, like this seems so insufficient at first, especially if you're a parent of a young child who has just learned the phrase no, you got to be wondering, all right, it says not to provoke my child to anger, but what about the reverse? What about this child provoking me to anger, right? <laughs> But that's what it says. Um, but as you dig in further past the surface, what you see is even though the Bible doesn't necessarily speak directly to parents, what it speaks a lot about is discipleship. All right? and, and as you dig further, you see that God is giving us in this New Testament with Jesus this new family, this new spiritual family. So you see, he made this promise to uh, the eunuchs in the Old Testament. He said, you will have more children than uh, you will have this, this flourishing of children. Well, how is that possible? Well, under the new covenant, as you disciple new believers in Christ, they are your spiritual children. And so this principle holds. How do we raise children to maturity in Christ the same way we raise new believers to maturity in Christ? It is in discipleship. Uh, so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at uh, one of the um, most known texts on discipleship in the Bible. And what you see at the end of most of the Gospels and at the very beginning of Acts, you see this thing called the Great Commission. 
Uh, and that is the text that we're going to dive in today. We're going to dive in specifically in the Matthew text, Matthew 28, 16 uh, through 20. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read that text, uh, then I'm going to pray and ask God's help for showing us what he has for us in his word today. Uh, and yeah, then we're just going to dive in together. So starting in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, thank you so much for, for your son's example. Thank you so much for just the great privilege of, uh, of joining you in your work of making disciples of Jesus across the world. And I pray that uh, as you dig into this text that uh, you would take um, my human words and you would take our, our limited uh, understanding and you would show us what you have for us today. Amen. All right, so diving in here. Uh, actually, before we dive in, can I just make an observation? This is after Jesus had risen from the dead, his disciples literally seeing him risen from the dead, right? They saw him die, they saw him in life, they bring him to the mountains, and it still says some doubted, right? That is so encouraging to, to me. If they doubted then, and, it's, and then Jesus gives this great commission, then he invites them in this great work of making disciples across the whole earth. Like That's got to be encouraging for us when we have our own doubts, when we have our own struggles along the way. Those do not exclude us from the call of what it means to be a Christian, uh, from this call of the great commission. Um, but before that, um, the picture we have here um, is the disciples meeting Jesus and then him returning to heaven saying, wait for the Holy Spirit. And we know if we jump ahead to Acts, what happens several chapters later is the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And at that point, the momentum starts and the gospel begins to go to every nation on the earth again and again and all the way up to this present time where it's still spreading and still filling the earth with the gospel message. That's when everything changed. And Jesus is inviting us into that amazing, epic, glorious work. Um, and on one hand, like that just humbles me to be invited uh, to have the privilege of being a part of this work. On the other hand, it's incredibly intimidating, this idea of taking the gospel to the whole earth, like this important work God puts it in our hands as a church to do. Uh, and I think he knew that, um, because if you look at the structure of the Great Commission, uh, before he gets into actually the disciple-making part of it, he kind of sandwiches the text with two reassurances. And we're going to study the last one at the end. But this first one is this. Um, he, he said, uh, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. That word, therefore, that what that is telling you, uh, what that is telling us, that all of this great commission hinges on the fact that he has all authority. Right? So we, we see this image where Jesus humbled himself 
he came in a human form and he took our punishment on death. And after he had done that, his father, God, had raised him up and given him authority over everything. It says all. There's not a square inch of creation that is not under Jesus' authority and control. That's important for us as we continue to study uh, and dig into this commissioning. It's, it's important for us to understand that because that means that nothing can get, the way of the, get in the way of this work. Any struggles we have in this process of bringing the gospel to the nations, any hardship are not outside of God, God's control. Jesus knows about them. He has allowed them because he's continuing his work. Right? He's, he's allowing them in because he knows that this will be better. He knows that this will continue the work of bringing the gospel to the nations even more. And it helps us because that even includes our own frailties and limitations as human beings. Uh, one thing I get when I'm, when I'm talking to people about the commission that, like, if you are a Christian, you are called to be a disciple maker. People freeze up. They, they are okay with the idea of being a coach or a mentor, or a helper, but when you say you are a disciple maker, they freeze up. That seems so intimidating. Like, I don't know enough about Jesus to be able to disciple others to make Jesus. But the thing is, he makes room even for our limitations and our frailties. He knows those limitations. He knows that you don't know everything yet. He knows that you are still a sinner struggling on your own, but he still invites you into that work. Uh, And and so one of the images I give people, um, when we are doing the work of God, like, we are called to be faithful. We are not called to be responsible for the end results. Uh, uh, I think the best picture I had was in high school. I was driving with my wrestling coach, uh, and he was telling me the story about his son got his first turkey. Uh, So he was telling me his his son at the time was just a toddler, uh, and so he, he called in this turkey, uh, then he set his son on his lap, right? He took the, he took the gun, he helped his, his son line up the sides too, and he said, okay, when I tell you, pull the trigger. And so he waited to the right moment when the turkey stuck its head out. He's like, all right, now. And his son pulled the trigger. Now, think about that. Who shot that turkey? <laughs> uh, I, I think our walk with Jesus is very much the same way. Like, he invites us because he wants us to be with him in his work. But the end results, those are his. Uh, I, I also get this image in my head of, of this father who is a carpenter inviting his son to work in with him. He's not doing it because his son's good. In fact, he's probably having to correct a lot of his son's mistakes. Um, but he wants his son there with him. And that's what God is calling. When he calls us to this work of the Great Commission, it's not on our shoulders, right? That's freeing. But... He wants us in his work. So that is why he has given us this commission. Um, And so that is how he starts it off. Everything is under Jesus' control. Everything is under his authority. He controls the results, but he still wants us to join in with him because we are his children, and he wants us with us. Then we see this as we keep going on. All right, now that we see he has all authority and all control, he says... Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, if you have the notes uh, in the bulletins, uh, I put that word, word not Nathan's, but uh, ethne, 
the reason I did that, by the way, is not that I'm trying to show you all that I have a seminary degree and I understand Greek, right? Uh, because I don't understand Greek, by the way. <laughs> I'm actually putting that in there so you guys don't make the same mistake that I am tempted to make when I read that verse. When I think of nations, I think of like the United States and other countries that are bound by this political and geographic boundary. Uh, and certainly that's included. When God calls us to make disciples, he is saying go to every country and make disciples. But it's actually a, a more rich and a more full and a deeper word than just this um, idea of a nation state that we have now. Uh, the, the idea is actually one of an ethnic or a people group. In other words, a people that is defined by a common language, a common history, and the same cultural um, background. Okay. That is a lot. That means every single cultural group out there that has ever existed and ever will, we see in Revelation this picture where all of these people are bringing the best of what their culture has and offering it at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him in all of their languages. And what an amazing picture of what the gospel is, and God is calling us in to that work. Um, now, how do we become disciple makers of every nation, right? So how do we become disciple makers of every ethnic group? Well, the first thing we have to understand is you individually are not. Uh, I think when we read the Bible now, um, we have a very individualistic culture, which definitely has some strengths, but one of the weaknesses is we often misunderstand what the Bible is saying because we think it's speaking to us individually when it's actually speaking to us together. This is God's call to the whole of the church, which means the whole of the church has to work together for this end. And that means that a lot of ethnic groups that aren't even around now have been reached by our church, has reached by us together. And a lot, if Jesus doesn't come for a while in the future, it might mean ethnic groups that don't even exist now will be there at the end of time when worshiping Jesus in his time. It's a huge and amazing picture of what we get to be involved in. But it also requires of us to be a certain type of disciple. See, we are disciples of Jesus called to make other disciples. Uh, and what that means is, if we are to make them of all nations, we actually have to reach out to different cultural groups than our own. Uh, and, and we have to teach those we're discipling to do the same thing. Uh, that means a couple of things. It means, one, we have to realize that our ultimate allegiance and our ultimate identity is not to our country or our social group or whatever group uh, we may be, but our ultimate identity and allegiance is to Jesus and being a part of his family. You should love the place you're in. You should love that we get to live in America here. But at the end of the day, there will be no more America. There will be no more Americans. We'll be one people in Jesus Christ, which changes the way we look at things. It, it, it means that we have closer relationship to Christians across the globe in the Middle East or Asia or Africa than we do than some of the non-Christians in our own country. And it means that we should take every advantage to reach out to groups that are not like our own. It's actually even made more apparent in, um, in, in Acts. The way the Great Commission is said there is that 
you will go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, and, and the normal progression is one of their, their town, that, their city that they were in, spreading to the region they were in, spreading to the world. So kind of like for us, it would be Chillicothe to Illinois to the ends of the earth, right? Except he throws in Samaria. Samaria is actually, it, it throws everything off. It's not this natural progression. And what is drawing our attention to, uh, what you have to understand about the Samaritans and the, his Jewish disciples, is they hated each other, right? The Samaritans and the Jews were enemies. So what God is calling us to do in the Great Commission is not just go to different groups, but he's calling us to go to groups that we don't want to go to. That left on our own, we would not go to. To groups that if we were to go to them, those in our own group would look down on us at. I mean, there were consequences for the, his disciples to go to the Samaritans. Uh, the people around them, the Jewish, um, uh, the religious Jewish people around them would have looked at them and said, you are actually sinning to go to these people. Uh, and so there are consequences to following the Great Commission. And that means we have to accept that we sometimes have to go to people that we don't want to go to. And quite frankly, they don't want us to go to them as well. So, so the question for you as disciple makers, since all of you, if you are followers of Jesus, are disciple makers, that's what you're called to. One, are you going to people who you know uh, who are in your group, who you get along with, good. Now, are you also going to people who are outside of your group, who don't like you and, quite frankly, are very difficult to get along with because you are called to that? And we're called to, to train up those who are discipling to do the same thing. Now, what that looks like for parents can be a little scary sometimes. Um, that means that we are training our children if they were followers of Christ, to look for in their schools those outsiders that they normally wouldn't be friends with, that a lot of people normally wouldn't be friends with, and go befriend them in order to show them Jesus' love. Now we know that comes with consequences. If you befriend the outsider, oftentimes that makes you an outsider. That will mean nights where your kid comes back crying because their friends no longer want to be there friends anymore because they're reaching out to these kids. There will be further consequences, but we know as disciple makers of Jesus, this is what we're called to. And we're not called to protect our kids from every single pain and hardship that comes, as tempting as that is, as much as we don't want to see them hurt. We want them to follow Jesus and learn what it means to love the outsider, because if they can learn to do that, they have this deeper appreciation of Jesus coming to us, Jesus coming to the ultimate outsiders, the rebels who fought against God. Right? And that's what we're called to, as we're called to make disciples. But what does it actually mean to make a disciple? Right? That, that's kind of a, a theological word you don't hear uh, elsewhere. What does that actually mean? Uh, if we continue the Great Commission, it actually gives two things for what it means to make a disciple. So, um, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. First is this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and the Holy Spirit. And so we know that baptism is that first step of obedience for any Christian. It is the entrance into the community of faith of this new family under Jesus. And, and so what this is saying is go and make new Christians and, and have them take that step into baptism. Uh, but I want to make two other observations here. One is, it says right up front, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In the singular name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right here, up front at the very first step of Christianity, it's talking about Trinitarian doctrine, like one God in three persons. You would think for new Christians, new believers, like you wouldn't really be so upfront with the confusing doctrines of the faith. Um, but what you actually find is the Bible's okay with revealing all its cards, right? With, with so our tendency would make it as simple as possible for someone to understand the faith. And that's not wrong. You, they don't have to be experts on the Trinity, right, to understand what it means to be a Christian and to accept the gospel. But we also don't hide those hard parts of our faith, right? Uh, and, and part of that comes from our own um, insecurity when it comes to things we don't understand. So I, I have been able to teach um, the Trinity to both seminary classes and to third graders. And let me tell you, it is far more intimidating to teach it to third graders than, than seminarians. Um, but the, the reason why is because as adults, we make these big theological terms so that we can pretend we actually understand what the Trinity is, and we don't. Kids kind of call us on that. It's like, what do you mean by this? Um, but they also actually accept it a lot more readily. When you actually say the words, I don't know, God is bigger than we can understand, and somehow he is both one God and three persons, and it's, I have no idea how. They're far more ready to accept that. The reason is, as a child, you haven't forgot one fun fundamental principle of being a human being. You can't understand everything. As adults, we don't like that idea. We like to bring all these difficult concepts into our graphs to an easily digestible understanding. But think about that. If the world around you was one that you could completely understand, what a small and boring world you live in. Like part of what is so attractive of our faith is it reminds us what we've forgotten now that we're no longer children, that God is big that the world and the faith that he invites us in is full of mystery and surprise. Uh, I remember sitting in my college classes in science, uh, my science classes of all places, and, and as God was teaching me to remember this, the, this truth, I found myself in worship studying the human body. The more I understood about it, the more I realized how little I understood about God's creation. Uh, one of my favorite theologians, he puts it this way, because he studied um, medical training as well, but he said, in the human body is a cosmos. God has filled this world with such mystery and surprise and awe, and he is inviting us into it to join this work of bringing all things back under, uh, renewed and back under his control, and, and we get to be a part of that. Don't 
show people a small faith. Be okay with the mystery. And what the practically, what this helps us with, um, a lot of people's biggest struggle with going and sharing their faith or going and making disciples is this one fear that what if they ask me a question I don't know? Right? You fear like, oh man, the pressure's on. If I can't give them this perfect explanation, they're going to turn away from the faith because it doesn't make any sense. I think we have greatly underestimated, one, the Holy Spirit and his work, and two, people's ability to realize, hey, as a human being, you can't possibly understand everything. And even our desire to be invited into a universe that is so much bigger than we imagined. Practically speaking, as a parent, what that means, and this is going to be hard, it means when your child expresses doubt or has questions about the faith, that's okay. I get it. Being parent is scary. And you have that instant thought in your head, oh no, my, my child is questioning Jesus. They're going to be the next Richard Dawkins. I already know it. They're, they're going to turn away from the faith. But, but what we should understand is when your child is asking questions about the faith, expressing doubt and misunderstanding, it means they're thinking about it. That is one of your biggest, that can be one of your biggest wins and opportunities as parents. Like, yes, express your doubts, express your questions, ask away. I probably can't answer most of them, but let's dig in together and explore who this God is in his word and see if we can't find answers, see if we can't find what God is saying to us in those moments. The second thing is this the other way. Uh, when inviting people into baptisms that I don't think we quite realize in the U.S. I've been able to see baptisms all across the world. Um, but you know what they say when you baptize is buried with Jesus and his death and raised in newness of life. Right here at the very entrance of Christianity is this idea that we die to ourselves and the life we now live is no longer our own to live, but we live for Jesus. There's no test-driving Christianity, right? You're either all in or you're not in at all. And right here at the beginning, right here at the beginning, we were reminded of that. Uh, it's more clear in other countries, because I've, I've been to these baptisms, and what inevitably happens is you be in countries where they're okay with you going to a church, with you even professing this new faith, but where they draw the line, where you get kicked out of families, where you get in trouble with the law, is when you get baptized. Because the world realizes what sometimes we here in America forget is that Christianity, when you, when you go through that baptism, it's requiring all of you. There's no turning back at that point. And sometimes our temptation is to soften the edges of conviction. Uh, so we read a story like where Jesus talks to the rich ruler, and he comes to Jesus like, what do I need to be saved? Right? And, and, he's, and Jesus is like, well, have you done this? Have you done this? Do you, you know, love people? Do you do all this? He's like, yeah, I've done all that. He's like, okay, go sell all you have, give it to the poor, follow me. And, and every time I read that, I'm like, really? Is that what you wanted to lead with? Like, couldn't you have brought him in and then over time gotten to realize, like, maybe you should, you know, give your money to the poor? Jesus doesn't work like that. He doesn't hide things from people in the beginning. He says, this is going to cost you. 
this is going to change the way you live from here on out. Uh, and, and if we pay closer attention, I think we'd realize that. We see uh, these verses in the Bible where it says to count the cost. The Bible is not asking us to get people to really like this whole Jesus thing and try it out for a while and then slowly, over time, realize what it fully means. No, he's asking you to jump in full understanding that this is costly. This, this will cost you everything. Uh, and, and then we accept the gospel for what it is completely. And yeah, you're not going to live it perfectly from then on out. We know that. Like You do have to learn obedience as you go. Um, but we're upfront about it from the beginning. So that's what we do as we're making disciples. The next thing it says, so one is just that baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then we get this line. It says, uh, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All right, two words to focus on. First one is this, all. All right, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay, so here's the question. How can you know all of Jesus' teaching? How can you teach it unless you're actually studying it daily, right? Uh, I think sometimes <laughs> we think we can dive into this discipleship process without the scripture. We have this set of methods and understandings, but that word all kind of strips that away from us. Uh, and that doesn't mean that you have to have this seminary degree before you enter into uh, the discipleship process. Because not even when you have that seminary degree are you going to understand all of the Bible completely. Uh, but there is an understanding that as you continue to grow, as you continue to deepen your understanding, you continue to help others deepen theirs as well. It also means when you come to the parts of the scripture that you don't like and that are difficult, you don't avoid them. You, you move into them and help people to obey God even when it's not easy to do. The second thing is this. Obey. Now, how do you teach someone obedience? I mean, you can teach them what they're supposed to obey, but how do you teach them to obey? And the high schoolers I've been having, uh, leading through this Bible study, like how do we grow in a relationship with God? Like, so, so one of the answers we consistently say up front is like, you don't on your own. Like the Holy Spirit has to be doing most of the work. So that is one thing. That is one thing we have to understand before we enter into this discipleship process is we don't do this on our own. Um, but the other thing we have to understand is the way you teach obedience is by modeling it. Like, how do you know how to obey? It's because you've seen people obey. How do you know how to pray? It's because you prayed with people. Like, I can give this lecture on prayer all for, like, hours long, and if you walk away and you never pray, you're not going to have learned anything. Uh, I was reading this book by a guy named Gregory the Great, uh, and he's talking to pastors, and he says, pastors have two sermons. Uh, one is the Sermon of the Mouth, uh, where you're teaching the Bible to your people, and it is incredibly important. But the other sermon is the Sermon of your life, where you are living out before your people what you're teaching with your mouth. 
Uh, the words are important and essential. But if your sermon of your life disagrees with the sermon of your mouth, then people don't hear the sermon of your mouth because your life is speaking too loudly. Thing is, that doesn't just apply to pastors. That applies to everyone who's making disciples, and that applies to you as parents. You can't expect your child to grow in their faith, to grow in prayer and reading the Bible if they don't see you doing it. How do you expect them to know how to pray if you're not praying with them? Um, but once we see that, once it becomes clear, we realize what our job as disciple makers and as parents is, is come alongside those who are discipling our children to read with them, to struggle over the scripture with them, to pray with them, to live out obedience. It also means this. So we look back at that word, all that I've commanded you. One of the interesting things about that is that includes the Great Commission itself. So when we're teaching all that Jesus taught, that means we're teaching disciple makers how to, we're teaching disciples how to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, right? Uh, how do we do that? How do we model it? One is having them with you. When you're inviting non-Christian friends in in order to share them Jesus, have your kids there watching with you. Another way, and this is something I didn't realize until just a couple years ago looking back, one of the greatest things my parents did to influence um, how I view ministry now, now that I've been called to vocational ministry, is how they loved my friends. One of the greatest things you can do as a parent in order to help them become disciple makers is to make your home a safe and a hospitable place for their friends to be where they can invite them in and share the faith with them. It also means this. One of the scary things is uh, we, we're all concerned about who our children are friends with, right? And that is important, and we want them to choose wisely, but we also want them to pursue friendships with non-Christians, okay? Uh, and, and I get that's intimidating at first. Uh, and one of the ways, just practically, that that can be better is you don't have them go off on their own and join this group of non-Christian friends. Instead, you have them have a cr close group of Christians who they're growing together with and say, all right, you as a group, you need to befriend this person to show them uh, the love of Jesus and to invite them into Christianity. Uh, and then as you encourage your children to do that together, they learn how to be disciple makers, right? So what we have here, the Great Commission, we're called to make disciples of all nations, of all ethnic groups. We're called to do it by baptizing people in the Trinitarian name of God and by teaching them all that Jesus commanded with us. And finally, we get to one more reassurance. It says this, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the thing about entering into this work is it is not easy, and it's, it's filled with a lot of pain. You have to sit with people and grieve with them and share in their struggles. And through that all, Jesus doesn't promise to take away the hard parts of it or the suffering parts of it, but what he does promise is that he's going to be there with you. So on that note, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to take some time together to celebrate those who have graduated in our congregation. So, Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that you encourage us in this great work of making disciples, and I pray that you would uh, help us to take this seriously, to, 
to train our children and those who are discipling and our new Christians up in you and your son Jesus, and that we help them uh, to also make disciples. Um, and I pray that you would just give us a, a conviction of the importance of this work and that you would help us and strengthen us along the way. Amen.